0: custom car
1: care. Good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Going to talk a little uh, controversial today, Sarah. So right about a year ago, two pretty predominant shops in the Springfield metro area got a visit from the EPA, Mm -hmm. which is usually probably not a good thing. I'm just going to go out on a limb there. And they had been doing some practices where they were eliminating federal emissions control devices on their vehicle. Okay. Which is a huge no no. So, regardless of what state you live in out there, and regardless of even my personal feelings, which I will share some of those as well, it is a federal regulated. Uh, EPA is bigger than the state Essentially is what I'm telling you So even if you're in a state that doesn't Have emissions regulations Or that kind of red tape The federal trumps the state In this instance Okay, I'm sure there's some people out there that maybe think differently, but I can uh, basically assure you otherwise, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So a couple of shops around, and honestly, arguably, since the last two decades in my automotive career, I've seen many shops do this at different times, and it's kind of a hush-hush thing. There was also a big towing company in the Springfield area that got in trouble for doing a delete on their towing equipment or their fleet vehicles. And I believe what he did to, and I don't know this, but I'm assuming he... You know, uh, led the information to the proper authorities to who performed the deletes, and I imagine there's probably some repercussions there. I don't know that for sure, but uh, we're going to go ahead and just kind of connect the dots there, I suppose. But long story short, for the last 20 years, I've had people coming in on their gasoline engines saying, "I want my catalytic converter to be eliminated," or "I want a test pipe put in there," or, I want, uh, you know, some kind of mod put on there, and there's. Typical vehicles that are more susceptible for this, Um, back in the day when the Mustang was really, really prominent, they were selling these X-Pipes, which are performance-based, and there is some benefit in the right application, but on a stock drivetrain and and power plant, it really isn't going to yield you a whole bunch. I have probably done more back pressure and flow checks than just about anybody I can think of one gentleman um, who we've had on the show that's probably done somewhere around the same as I have, but, um, and really studied the flow of an exhaust system of how it complements or how it takes away from the performance of your engine, which is at the very basic structure, an air pump. So I'm getting a little technical, but I, I, I will try and bring this back around here, that there are benefits of to having a free-flowing exhaust system. However, the EPA is not playing around, and essentially you can, uh, I think KY3 is who I found the report on, and then I ended up being led to the docket and all the, uh, the legal jargon, if you will, but they they really kind of came down on a big time for eliminating any of this emissions device. So what is an emissions device? For most of you listening, you have a catalytic converter on your car. You have a exhaust gas recirculation valve. Some of my diesel folks out there have a particulate filter, an after-treatment system. And all of those are very expensive components that we're talking about. And they're really only purpose out there is to clean up the tailpipe emissions, which I can definitely say when you look at like Los Angeles in the 80s versus the way it is now, they have made some significant headway. But what the problem is and why people want to delete it is it kills the fuel economy. It takes away a lot of their performance, and it is very troublesome for the operator that they break down a lot. You look at pre-emissions diesel engines, even pre-emissions gasoline engines, there was just that much less to go wrong, as well as the government has really put their thumb on the scale and made it to where the manufacturers really don't have a lot of choices. they got to get in there, and it's created for the consumer, which would be you and I out there, a lot of issues because they, if they are not in emissions clean tailpipe uh, state, it will derate the vehicle it will low power the vehicle and it will force you into a repair facility to get that stuff taken care of and i, I don't want to say that it's it's really not good nor bad in this instance there's a lot of folks out there that are wanting to delete those federal emissions equipment and again like i'd spoken earlier i've seen shops do that however there are great consequences So, I want to talk a little bit about that. I had a a good friend of the show who's been a good friend of mine, honestly, for almost my entire career, um, call in last week while we were talking about some things. He is now in a different market, a bigger, well, I say bigger, probably an equal market to Springfield, and he deals a lot in the heavy truck industry, and that's, uh, I believe, more of his background as well that they are actually sidelining trucks or they are refusing to work on them at at, at all, and I'm talking like not even oil changes, if they've been deleted. I had another dear friend that uh, bought a factory uh, remanufactured engine and had an issue with it, and they flat refused to do anything about it. Even though it failed in a very short amount of time because the vehicle had not had the right emissions calibration and equipment on it, so long story short, the heavy duty truck industry is really under fire, I guess would be the way to put it, and so are you know the uh, passenger car vehicles so miss Sarah. I know we've got maybe just a little bit of time. You had a message in there, I think, from one of our listeners. Yes. That kind of spoke on this, which brings up some valid points as well.
0: Okay, so almost $18,000 for our F650 work truck with the 6.7 when it was stolen. We just had it deleted. Runs much better and gets better mileage as well.
1: hmm so, are you familiar with any of this, Sarah, or is this just Greek at this point?
0: Nope, but I'm listening. <laughs>
1: okay. So, in that instance, it um, sounds like they had a late model, uh, medium to heavy duty truck. So, six, was oh, it six? Six, I believe. So that uh, would be like a ton and a half or a two-ton truck. That's not really my wheelhouse, but that's going to be your bigger, like your line service trucks that have the big booms on them okay. or dump trucks. Uh, all things that I love a lot, by the way. I, I love uh, trucks with equipment or capabilities. And they sit up off the ground. So you and I have been talking about the stolen catalytic converters for a while. Right. These after-treatment systems, which is what was equipped on that truck, uh, they are extremely expensive. I believe that one said like eighteen grand mm-hmm. uh, because some crackhead decided to crawl under there and steal it. That that really drives me crazy. I can imagine how that company or that you know person, if it was privately owned you know, had a surprise $18,000, even if you're a healthy big company, eighteen grand just out of left field all of a sudden is a huge kick in the pants. As well as I've seen some delivery trucks out there, they just have given up on it, and they're driving it around open exhaust. I don't know if you've seen that in town at all, but uh they're just full send. It sounds like a drag car with no exhaust hooked up. But in this instance, they talked about just deleting it, which obviously, like, in the physical part of it, it is possible, but it uh, if you get busted you 're going to pay the price, and that eighteen grand may be a cheap drop in the bucket, especially if you are a company. Um, they really like to go after that because there's more money than just typical you know Jim Bob farmer out there that 's trying to uh, you know just take care of day to day business. But I basically wanted to start the show out today talking about this because I want people to know why we cannot do that. And I have a rule within our shops that, uh, and I, and I love my mom; she's wonderful. But even if she shows up and asks to have something like this done, the answer is no. We're not doing it, and it's not because uh, this gentleman or, or lady whoever sent in the message is right. The truck will run better. However, in this instance, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Essentially, the consequences for the person doing it or the company doing it is humongous. I encourage you to do some uh, searching out there to see what's going on. Like I talked about that towing company, they're a local towing company and they're getting really squeezed on this deal, and it's going to be a big, big thing. And it doesn't only affect that company. It affects all the people that work for that company, all the customers and clients that deal with it. Uh, You know, if they can pull through it on the other side, more power to them. But to re-equip all of their trucks with an after-treatment system is not going to be a cheap endeavor. As well, I'm seeing a lot of folks try and keep their older non-emissions trucks and cars on the road longer which I think is a great play. I'll be honest, I'm in the same boat. When you look at non or pre-emissions on a lot of your um, light duty diesel stuff which would be your pretty much Ford, Chevy and Dodge, you look at any of the 59 Cummins up till I think about 0203, they were pre-emissions. There was no emissions equipment and they are unbelievably Dependable. You look at the uh, first couple generations or at least the first generation of the Duramax and then up to the 7.3 liter power stroke. Those things will run hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles. And I see a lot of folks, me included, pouring into them, trying to keep them on the road because they don't want to deal with this. But Sarah and I got to step into a break. We're going to pick it up on the other side.
0: Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom
1: Car Care. Welcome back, Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. I suppose we're talking a little bit about kind of the other side of the emissions thing. Ms. Sarah, if people want to uh, weigh in on this, I'd really like to know what they're thinking. How do they go about that?
0: Sure. The best way to do it is to reach out to us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743. Once again, that 447-447 five seven four three the best way to reach out to us is if you have the ksgf app there is a little button that says text the studio that's awfully nice yeah i know so technology so is so convenient you don't even have to remember that phone number and then you can always a uh, message in on our social media that handle across the board is at 1041 ksgf and all of those messages will make their way down to to us that's awesome.
1: So you had a good question. We were talking about it off air. I was talking about some of the pre-emissions diesels oh, that are yes. out there. And a lot of those are going three and 400,000 miles and folks are wanting to you know, keep them going. And I don't blame them. I'm in the same exact boat. I got uh, actually the big three. I've got a five nine that's probably going to find another home here pretty quick. Uh, I do have an LB7 first-generation Duramax. Uh, I've done a significant amount of work to keep it going. And then I have a 445,000-mile Ford Excursion with a 7.3 turbo diesel in it that I love greatly and are all extremely dependable. Have I had to do a significant amount of work to them? Yeah. They're 20, 30 years old now. But your thought was, is if they're pre-emissions, do they fall under the same laws and regulations? Yeah,
0: I was curious. Are they grandfathered in?
1: They sure are. So all of these regulations, for the most part, unless you get out to California, which is a whole nother ballgame. Um, they're all pre-emission uh, regulations so whatever year they were manufactured that is the rules that apply to them and, and as they uh, you know come up with new laws and new regulations they don't backdate those you know because it would be just uh, to re-engineer the wheel essentially 20 years later because we changed the laws it's just not really practical feasible I really feel like that's kind of what they did with Uh, the cash for clunkers that they had several years ago is they forced a bunch of these older quote unquote dirty emissions related vehicles off of the road. And they basically paid you for them, which that's a whole nother show topic. It was, it took a lot of really good cars off the road that would have been and served, you know, people that buy pre-owned or continue to drive their cars for many years after they're paid off, it it took those out of the cycle, which drove up the used car prices, the new car prices, et cetera. But I digress. That really was not a good move for um, – and I don't believe that it really did clean up the environment very much. The catalytic converters – and we do several um, – or we have several five-gas emissions-related test equipment that we use for drivability and engine management system throughout our company <clears> – <throat> And the late model cars really do a good job scrubbing the emissions. And so I guess that's why I get kind of wrapped around the axles about the EV market. Again, I'm not opposed to the electric vehicle. That's cool. Um, hybrid really, if I was going to go that route would be more where my head's at with the, the disclaimer that the battery technology is not there yet either. So you're going to have, you know, once you get past that six year mark, eight years, you're going to face some significant repair bills because of the battery technology and the battery replacement. As well as, when I look at the internal combustion or ICE engine, internal combustion engine, they've got it to where it burns extremely clean. It does a, a much better job than it did through the 80s and 90s. And all of that came from electronic fuel injection, uh, the electronic ignition system, I mean, they really beefed up the ability to use every bit of whatever petroleum product that is making uh propulsion or internal combustion possible. They have done a great job using every ounce of that to where it really doesn't harm a lot of the environment like they did through the 80s. I mean, you could smell a car running rich. I mean, you could just... I mean, almost burn your eyes. I don't know if I'm the only kid that's a product of the '80s, but back then that was normal. Nobody really noticed. Uh, but now, when I get an older vehicle in the shop, pre-emissions, in this instance, you for sure notice. And I, you know, I can almost—I don't want to say we do this because we don't. We have very good um, ventilation systems in the shops. But you can run a internal combustion vehicle once the catalytic converter lights off in an in a. Uh, uh confined space much longer than you used to. Now, don't do this because it is carbon monoxide. You will pass out and never wake up. So don't do this. Just let me be clear there. I shouldn't have to make a big disclaimer, but, you know, there was the Tide Pod Challenge not that long ago, and, you know, everybody got on board with that. So do not run your vehicle. My point is is that they're running so much cleaner now, you don't necessarily notice it like you used to as well as when you're sitting in drive-thrus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I will oftentimes, if I'm sitting in a confined area, that there are a lot of other cars running around me. I will switch it to a recirculate mode to where I am breathing the air from inside the car or it's taking the air from inside the car instead of outside the car and either cooling or heating it, depending on how you're going about your day and what the season is, to make sure that I don't get that carbon monoxide inside the the vehicle. So that's kind of a side note there, but definitely better to be safe than sorry. And if you have an exhaust leak, you need to get it fixed because that's going to give you issues. My uh, point before I got down that rabbit trail, I guess, which I still think is important to why we went there, is if you are going to delete your vehicle, you potentially will face some serious consequences, and it's no longer as uh, inconspicuous as it once was. If you're rolling coal and just black smoke coming out your diesel, definitely going to get some attention. I know of a gentleman or an article that happened in the state in New York where he had tried to sell, and they found it on social media. His deleted, I believe it was a Dodge, if I remember right, and it, they literally cracked down so hard on him about that that he could not sell it. He could not register it in another state. He had X amount of time to either make it compliant or destroy the vehicle. Well, the cost, and I don't even know that the parts are available on some of those systems um, because of you know various reasons, supply chain, age, etc., um, ended up he could not make it compliant. He could not sell it. He could not move to another state and re-register it or do anything like that. There is footage out there where it went to the scrapyard and they junked it, which is a shame. I mean, you think about the vehicle sitting out there in either your work parking lot or if you're at home or out uh, if you're riding in your vehicle right now. Think about, you know, the consequences if that vehicle had to go to scrap for whatever reason. That would be a hard pill to swallow really really hard. I definitely get emotionally attached I suppose to my vehicles they become part of kind of my persona if you will and my capability. Um, you know if if all you need to do is be a you know kind of a grocery getter good fuel economy man that's awesome. Um, that's definitely something that I factor into you know the vehicles that our homestead has. But in my instance, a lot of times I need to pull a stock trailer. I need to pull one of my flatbed trailers for equipment, for hay, for whatever it is. So I need a little more capabilities than what a you know normal kind of day-to-day grocery getter daily driver is. And if I had to lose one of those vehicles, I'd be in a bad spot because I wouldn't be able to take care of my livestock, wouldn't be able to tow and haul some of the equipment that I need. It just would really put me in a spot. So I can't imagine having to send one of my vehicles to the scrap because the EPA came down and said, hey, nope, you ain't doing that no more. And there was a lot of people that used to be out there on some of the social medias, TikTok and uh oh YouTube, etc., that talked and showed a lot about this information. And that has all been removed. Uh, or at least the majority of it, as well as a lot of people, they'll flat tell you, even if they quote-unquote were going to do it, it ain't happening now. So it's uh, one of those things that you had better be proactive as much as possible and making sure that uh, you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's, as well as be mindful of what it is you're, you're uh, purchasing. I have talked many times here on the show. You guys are probably sick of hearing about it because one of these days I'll actually pull the trigger on it. But I've been kind of doing my homework about a later model lower miles diesel vehicle to do some of the towing that I talked about earlier. And I'm just not quite there yet. Uh, I'm I'm at the point that, uh, you know, $70,000, $80,000 for a truck really just isn't that appealing. Even a used truck, I've been looking around, found some, you know, decent deals out there, $52,000, $57,000. That's still a tremendous amount, and I will have to start dealing with DEF, which is diesel exhaust fluid. And any of you out there know that, that have that. I guarantee you are more than versed on that topic, and if you're not and you know you're just a regular gasoline person out there, that's totally cool. Sorry for rambling on here about some of the emissions-related stuff, but the diesel market is really getting hammered as well as that's what transports most of the goods you and i buy out there the just-in-time inventory strategy is a big part of american uh, transit system as well as i've got several drivers that i talked to that a lot of companies use those rolling trucks as a little bit of a warehouse they will have so much freight in transit that they can calculate that hey if i'm shipping stuff here and yonder that that is housing a lot of our goods, and they're trying to, you know, plan accordingly. Which I can only imagine those logistics managers. I tip my hat to you because holy cow, I want nothing to do with that. However, I appreciate when you all do a good job. That when I go in and I need something at a store, it's there. So the reason I bring this up for the big truck manufacturing, the just-in-time inventory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera is that all that drives up the prices. So not only do we have high diesel prices or higher diesel prices than we did three and a half, three-ish years ago, we are now uh, forcing our drivers to pay for diesel exhaust fluid and all the repairs that go along with those. So some of our older drivers out there, they're still running their old mechanical equipment that don't have this and their overhead is much lower, but that is getting far and far in between. But Sarah and I need to step into another break. We're going to be right back after this. Your car
0: care A1 car care.
1: Welcome back. Sarah Dustin, a one custom car care. Miss Sarah, you were pointing out that I'm, I'm running away with this thing.
0: That's uh, okay. I don't understand it. That's fine. There's <laughs> listeners that are following right along. This is a Dustin show today, and that's okay.
1: You know, we all we all uh, take turns, I suppose. So. That's right. Uh, something that came up the other day that you and I have actually talked about quite a bit is the Carrington event. Do you recall that? Oh, uh, yes. Chronal mass ejection mm-hmm. that happened, I think it was in the early 1900s, if I remember right. Possibly one hit, uh, I think a few weeks back in the uh, upper area of Wisconsin. I believe they had some oh, power outages no kidding? there. Um, there was a big solar event, and, and this will tie into some of that diesel stuff. But the older diesels, as a caveat to some of the discussion that we're having today, and bear with me, I'm going to get my tinfoil hat out a little bit. Um, you know. I think the old saying is, uh, are you really paranoid or if they are out to get you or, you know, you're only uh, paranoid until it comes true? Well, my point in all that is there's still a lot of diesel engines out there that are mechanically driven. So my Gen 1, 12-valve uh, Dodge, the uh, IDI Fords, and then probably the Detroit that was back in the day in some of the Chevrolets. Now I'm not overly uh, versed on that old Detroit. I'm assuming it is a uh, uh, a mechanical truck, but there are still a lot of the dump trucks running around that are mechanical. There's some of the over over the road trucks out there that are mechanical. The reason that I bring all this up is kind of a side note to the plus and value of some of those older. Uh, vehicles out there, and I'm talking diesel at least in this instance. We can talk gas engines and EMP proof there if you want. But my point is, is with those mechanical ones, there's nothing that's going to shut them down. So you could have a EMP, you could have a coronal mass ejection or CME, if you will, out there. And uh, if you guys have some input in this, Sarah left you the information of how to send this to us. I'd love to hear about it. But that is a bonus, essentially, to having an older mechanical diesel engine not only will it run off of number two diesel or even kerosene if you have to um but i've seen a lot of those old diesels once they get them running they can run off of vegetable oil Um, i don't necessarily recommend that it's not fantastic for the injection system you must filter it you must do your best to make it a good clean burnable fuel you don't want like french fries and trash going into your fuel system but you can run those off alternate fuels essentially is what i'm getting at so if that's something that even kind of you know trips your trigger a little bit or something you're thinking about um if you've got an older diesel it may be worth putting a little bit in to keep it in a good running order regardless of you know they are not as powerful as late model engines nor as fuel efficient however they will do some amazing things and that's kind of a bonus and I like, like I said, I like diversity. I like capability. Some of your older gasoline engines still have some electronics on them. So if they have an ignition control module, you know, depending on how things go, it could be affected. Definitely if they have a PCM or a powertrain control module, definitely something that can be affected. Um, but you need to kind of keep that in mind that that's just an extra extra added bonus once you get back into your points and condenser side of things, now there's a lot of speculation on the study of EMP and CME, but once you get back to that point in time, it's arguable that those systems would probably work as well. So as long as you get the engine cranking over quick enough and it could, had, a, had a good fuel source and ignition component to it, it would start and run when I'm going to say 90 probably 5% of vehicles out there would not run. So that's one of those things that, you know, if that's important to you, and I have some of you that come into the shop and we have these discussions in person, and I really enjoy them, by the way, because typically anybody that's going to ask questions along these lines or is concerned about it is usually going to be pretty well informed. Um, I had an awesome lady. She came in. She had moved, I want to say, from Washington, Oregon. It's been a couple of years back. She brought me a device called EMP Shield and wanted me to install it. She had a little Honda. She'd taken good care of it. And so I did. I did install it for her. It was very simple. It was pretty reasonable. Um, even if you wanted to shop to install it, I doubt it would be probably less than 100 bucks. I don't recall exactly what it was. Um, if you're somewhat electrically and mechanically inclined, it would be an easy install for a DIY person. If you're not, I strongly recommend you not to do it. But essentially what the system claims to do, and I did a lot of research on it at that point in time, that it allows once the electrical system of the vehicle picks up enough electronic energy that it opens kind of like a resettable fuse or it allows it to dump the excess electricity that's being received through the airways off of your vehicle so it doesn't fry your sensitive electronics. So um, I'm not overly educated on this, but the way I understand it is uh, Tesla, the original Tesla, Nikola Tesla, back in the day figured out a wireless way to transfer electricity over the airwaves. So instead of all the power poles and lines that we have today, Um, Of course, this information was lost or, you know, put in a dark hole where nobody will find it. I'm not sure which. But before he passed, supposedly he was able to uh, perfect this where he could send electricity wirelessly, which is super cool. Um, That essentially is how an EMP works, is there's so much electricity in the air being bombarded and received to your electronics that you it fries or it overloads them so in my thought is that nikola tesla had this figured out at one point and could control it or regulate it that if it works for an emp or a cme it would work in our day-to-day lives as well now the power grid and all the investment there i guarantee they're not going to want want to walk away from very quickly and easily But the premise or the information, I guess, I'm processing the same way. So whether that EMP shield, please do your own research. I would love some feedback on this to see kind of what you guys are thinking um, of how to protect your your vehicles, your sensitive electronics. Um, Just kind of a side note, a prepper's tip, if you will. Um, For smaller electronics, probably one of the very best Faraday cages is your microwave in your house. Okay? Um, it is designed to shield those waves internally when it's cooking. So obviously, if you put something in there, don't you know, unplug it so nobody turns it on. But uh, if you need or there's a heads up for some reason that something's going on, if you want to shield radios, phones, sensitive electronics, especially that have receivers or antennas in them, your microwave is a built-in Faraday cage. And I believe it'll probably do a pretty good job. Your bigger items, they sell, and I think they're fairly expensive. They sell Faraday bags. There's YouTube videos out there on how to make your own Faraday cage. If you've got some information on what to do with that, uh, that would be awesome because uh, essentially it is a it is a steel box or a metal lined box. I know they can use copper and some different metals, but just for the simplicity's sake, bear with me. And they can align or surround a sensitive electronic, not allow it to touch it or be conductive to it, and it will shield and allow the waves to go around it instead of penetrate into it. So, Miss Sarah, you look uh, pretty serious over there. You find any inflammation?
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, I thought
1: I thought that kind of looked like <laughs> that over there.
0: <laughs> Going back to you said earlier, there was a, uh, mm-hmm. a Carrington event yep. that happened earlier. So it actually happened in it looks like Boulder, Colorado. Oh. It was an S one, which is a minor. Uh huh. That's how they rate them. Okay. And also, I found out that the Aurora Borealis mm-hmm. lights yeah. they are controlled by geomagnetic storm. Mm -hmm. So those two kind of, well, I don't know if they're controlled, but they're related. So uh, actually, it looks like we can see it in our area for the remainder of April.
1: So if you, of course, you guys live out uh, in the rural part of the county, yes, it makes a big difference. I've actually been able to pick them up a little bit oh, out no there kidding. In, in our area. I
0: need to go out there. That's what I was really reading about. Mm-hmm. I was like, what days can <laughs> I see this happen? But apparently we've been in this strong geomagnetic, pull or mm-hmm. I don't know all the words. I feel really bad because no, I was no. like reading it. And I'm like, I don't know all the words. But apparently we've been in that for, I guess, since like the beginning of March. Yeah. So there I, you go.
1: I've been following it a little bit and it is extremely interesting. There's a lot of times where I'll stay outside and work in the shop till mm-hmm. late, uh, especially as the you know weather gets hotter. I try and work out there in the evenings if I have a project I'm working on. And a lot of times, as I leave the shop and I'm walking into the house, I just I'm still at awe to stand outside and look at everything that's going up in the stars, and you know you can see the satellites and planes, and sometimes you catch uh, we catch a lot of falling stars out there at our place for some reason.
0: We do too, and I think that there's also getting into the the space talk here. Mm-hmm. I think that I don't know if it's happened already because I wasn't following it, but five planets are supposed to be aligning soon. Oh. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that article hmm. for those who are interested. Yeah. But yeah, I need to go out there and see if I can see, see the lights because our area is all Amish, uh-huh. so it's very dark in our oh, back field. Yes. So it's absolutely beautiful.
1: So I'll have to look. Definitely. I would love to know kind of how that goes, but Sarah and I are going to step into another break. We'll be right back. complete car care solution. Custom car care. All right, welcome back. We got just a little bit of time. You got Sarah and Dustin. A one custom car care. Sarah, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. I know I talk about the uh, like tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff from time to time. Do you think I'm crazy? I love a good conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm the only one out there. (laughs) No, I'm
0: here with you. Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I talk enough to the folks, you know, that come into the shop and people I meet just in general, absolutely salt of the earth, awesome folks. I just really enjoy meeting anybody out there that has that shared like-mindedness, Um do you know there were some tornadoes down there in Mississippi?
0: Yes, I heard that.
1: So, a lot of folks struggling down there. Mm-hmm. I was listening to some articles on the way in um, this week, and um, I promise I'll bring, I'll tie this around to cars or at least internal combustion at this point. But they had a, f- a gentleman that house was damaged, but there was no power, and he wired in his own generator to his house. Okay. Um, now, there's some pitfalls there. I'm not an electrician, so this is not. Um, electrical advice I guess but long story short you need to make sure you don't backfeed the grid so any of the power men that are working up on the uh, power distribution don't get electrocuted obviously as well as you need to hook it up correctly and unfortunately whatever happened it ended up burning his house down yeah so not only did he run into you know bad storms and probably lost a significant amount but you know this Whatever happened with this generator, I'm not sure exactly what the details were, but it ended up burning his house down. And then uh, I, I talk about the ice storm quite a quite a bit, which is the end of 06, beginning of 07 here in the uh, Springfield, excuse me, metro area. I talk about that quite a bit because that really was kind of my first taste of a disaster or something, you know, of... Uh, that interrupts normal life or, or, you know, throws everybody a curveball. And that was a pretty big one. And we had a lot of folks running generators inside their garage and carbon monoxide emissions. And, oh, my goodness. Long story short, do not mess with the emission stuff. And be, you know, use common sense. And if you don't have common sense, borrow some from somebody that does. And I'm not saying that just to be facetious or be, you know, kind of witty here. If you don't know what's going on, I think that's one of the best things that I love about getting older is my concern about being ignorant on something and somebody making fun of me is pretty much gone. Now, when I was younger, I didn't want to seem stupid. I didn't want to raise my hand and ask stupid questions. I mean, you know, I think we all go through that. But as I get older, if there's things that I don't know and there's somebody that's better off or more versed in that area... Now, you have to be selective. Don't take advice from dumb people. I I think that goes without saying, but I felt like I needed to put that in here, is that if I'm not versed on something, here's a prime example. I am not an attorney. I don't play one on TV. I don't write a blog about being an attorney. When I got legal questions, you had better know that I am reaching out to Kyle Wyatt. That's exactly who I'm going to call, and I have been able to see how he conducts himself and i have the confidence that if he tells me something the man probably knows way more than i do about it so i had better listen i the older i get the more i find that that is such a better way to go about it than being insecure and thinking oh well you know i saw this on you know youtube or whatever i'm going to try it well if you're going to try it depending on the consequences is really what should dictate in my opinion whether you do it or not. So if it's like, hey, I saw this new, you know, dribble or crossover in basketball, I'm going to go try it. All right. Well, consequences, you know, at best is I roll my ankle or I fall down and hurt myself. Um, there's really not that doesn't isn't a huge thing. Now, it's a, hey, I uh, I want to wire this in, and I'm not an electrician, and I don't really understand how carbon monoxide works from internal combustion engine, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe I should consult somebody that has some better information than I do, and not just use Google. And I'm not throwing stones. I learn things from Google, too. But the consequences in that aspect sometimes are worth more um, effort or just sheer, hey, let me call somebody that can take care of this and I know it's going to be right. Okay? So you need to vet those people as well. I guess that's what I'm saying. You know, with legal needs, I already have somebody that I've vetted that I trust, right? So if I need to call an electrician, I don't really know off the top of my head. Nope, I take that back. I do. Um there's a couple of guys with uh, uh I believe it's Fat Boy Electric here in Springfield. Harley is one of the main dudes. Man, that guy has been so informed versus other electrical companies that I dealt with. So, yeah, you need to have a little bit of a network or a vetting of folks that you can rely on that are truly professionals at their trade. Now, that that statement right there is really dwindling. Tradesmen and tradeswomen are retiring and getting out of the industry. They've put in there 40 years 50 years 20 years whatever it was when I got into the automotive industry I wanted to be a tradesman since I was a little kid I never felt like me not going to college or doing any of that was you know a detriment by any means And if you went to college more power to you, I hope and pray that whatever you studied for That is actually what you're doing for a living because if you have student loans, on debt for an industry that you didn't even get into, holy cow, that's got to be a hard pill to swallow to pay those student loans every year, but I digress. I went to a trade school, and as my kids are getting older, whether they go to college or trade school, I really don't care either way. Whatever they feel is going to get some kind of enjoyment out of their profession or their chosen profession, do it, but do something, okay? So if you have a tradesperson... That you know, I've got a couple of cousins that are just rock star plumbers here in town. I mean, those guys are fantastic. I'm very thankful to know those fellows. Like I said, the electrician, the attorney. Uh, I've got a great doctor friend. Uh, I haven't talked to her in years, but we were pretty close when we were in high school. Absolute fantastic doctor here in Springfield. Thankfully, we happened to run into her when we were kind of in dire straits with our little girl And just happened to see her in the ER. She made sure that we got great care and took serious action, and that helped us in a really bad spot. That's one of those times, at least in my experience, that I think there's definitely somebody looking out for you, as long as you're living the the right life. You reap what you sow. If you're a dirtbag and you're a drug dealer, you're probably going to reap a bunch of what dirtbag and drug dealers get. If you're a contributing member to society, you don't just live in the virtual space, You're out there interacting with people. Not all those interactions are great. Some of them don't go well. If you're not doing anything, nothing's ever going to go wrong. And A1 Custom, we do a lot. And so sometimes things happen. But I'm very thankful to be surrounded by a bunch of people that take that seriously. And that, hey, when I get in a spot and I don't know what's going on with a car, because contrary to popular belief, I don't just know what's broke on your car when you pull on the lot or you call us in the, in the uh, store and I get you on the phone. Do I have a tremendous amount of experience in, in most of those calls? Yeah, I do. And I've fixed a ton of them over the years, as well as everybody else within our company. I mean, at this point, it's so much bigger than just Dustin Atwood. And there's people within the company that are better technicians, better service advisors than I am, and I am excited about that. Because I need to keep getting better. I need to keep being better to help them and help them grow as well. So know and have a network of people that you can lean on and call. If you need somebody that does some excavating work or dump truck work, landscaping, electrical, plumbing, please build that network now because those folks are going to continue to be in very high demand. And it is going to continue being more challenging and more challenging to get services done because skilled labor is really starting to decline. So hopefully that helps somebody out there.
0: I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. Yeah. Because believe it or not, but we are out of time. Now, if you are out there in Radio Land, you have a question or a comment for us, you can reach out to us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743, or you can reach out to us on our social media. That handle is at 1041KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend.
1: You as well. Be safe.
0: Bye.